Welcome to the Drink Less, Live More podcast. If you are someone that is wanting to evaluate your relationship with alcohol, you've come to the right place. You don't have to call yourself anything. We don't have to use any labels. You're just someone that knows something isn't working for you and you want to make an intentional change. Let's go. Welcome to the podcast, Tara. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I responded to you on Instagram because you posted something or put a comment on one of my posts that said minimalist drinker. And that really just stood out to me. So of course, then I cyber you and I saw that you like to swear and you <laughs> like yoga and your name is also sober ish and you're a mental health professional. And I'm like, all right, this is my girl. She's going to be on the podcast. Yeah. So, I love that you invited me. Thank you. I was, I was super flattered. I was like, oh, yeah, I'll totally do this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, would like to have more, you know, people with different perspectives on because we all have our own stories. We all have our own reasons why we got to where we are and they're all similar, but there's some unique little nuance. And if somebody can hear Mm -hmm. your story and say, oh my gosh, she's talking to me. Um, that's why I do this, right. I want them to have that experience, um, up with a variety of stories. So let's just jump in and start there. Tell me about your story with alcohol and how you got to where you are today. For sure. So I grew up in an alcoholic home. Um, my dad struggled with addiction, uh, pretty my entire childhood. And then actually I lost him to drug addiction when I was 15. Um, and around that time, my mother was also becoming like what I call like a closet alcoholic. Um, I wasn't aware of it at the time and I didn't find out until college. And so then that sort of became a thing uh, in my late teens and twenties and stuff. So I have two parents that have struggled or are still struggling with, with addiction. Um, And I just a quick caveat. Like I know some people don't uh, resonate with the word addiction or alcoholic or, you know, things like that. They would prefer to say like person with a substance use disorder. I'm using the terms that my parents have used and how they refer to themselves and how it's always been. So just quick disclaimer there. Um, and so I had an interesting perspective, I think on like what problem drinking was. And so I started drinking a little bit in high school, nothing major, but then I definitely had that college experience of, you know, getting drunk a lot on the weekends and sometimes during the week. And I never even consider that not drinking was an option or that I had a problem or anything like that, because problem drinking looked like leaving your family, spending all your money, abandoning your kids, getting in, get, you know, going to jail. And then, um, so I, I, I would say, you know, quote unquote, normal college drinking. When I was 25, I was living in Hawaii and my boyfriend was in the military and was killed in Iraq. So I spent the next year just inundated in in alcohol. Like I was drunk constantly. And again, like I kind of look back on it and I'm like, holy shit. Like why? Like it, it should make sense of like, you already feel like shit. You're drinking a ton and then you wake up feeling even more like shit and you're crying even more and you're like more sad. And then you kind of sober up and then you do it again the next night. Like, why do you do this thing that makes you feel worse? Right. But again, it's so culturally ingrained. And I was like, I just need to sleep. So I'm going to drink to, to fall asleep. Um, and it, it, yeah, it was just, it was horrible. Somehow after about a year of that, I kind of came out of that with amazing support from my brother and really amazing friends. And I kind of went back to, again, that, that normal drinking. 
So fast forward, I don't know, give or take 10 ish years. And I just started noticing that I wasn't feeling great when I was drinking, I would get hung over very easily. I was sleeping in late. You know, I'd say like, I'm going to get up and do this thing in the morning, or I'm going to go to yoga or I'm going to, you know, get up early and read. And then I would drink the night before and like that kind of stuff would never happen. So the real turning point was two years ago, uh, my grandmother passed away and the night before her funeral, I had maybe three drinks and energetically, right. I'm sure I'm drained. I probably had no food. I'm just hot mess express and I had three drinks and I ended up throwing up. And the next morning I was like, Oh my God, it's like my grandma's so disappointed in me. <laughs> like I just, it was this, this moment of like, what the hell are you doing? So I went 10 days, no alcohol. I was probably the longest I'd gone in a while. I had been, I should back up real quick. I 10, like 10 years ish before that, give or take, I was like a drinker that drank most nights of the week. I would drink maybe four nights of the week, one or two drinks. Um, and then on the weekends I would get like drunk. And so, yes. So back to 2021, summer 21, that happens with my grandma's uh, funeral. And I, I go 10 days, no alcohol. I had like a beer after that. And then, so throughout the, the last couple of years, I've done several, 30 day challenges. I did multiple, you know, sober October's dry January's and started reading more about alcohol and the effects of it and like how absolutely like terrible it is. But genuinely, as, as I think I've like posted on your, your Instagram, there are sometimes like, I really just enjoy a blueberry ale. Like I enjoy the taste of it and I'm not drinking it. Cause I'm stressed out or I'm sad or anything. I'm like, this shit's good. Like it's delicious. So I want to drink one or two of them. And, um, so where I'm at now is, genuinely I don't enjoy the feeling of being drunk so I almost never get there and I would say that I drink maybe a couple of times a month and one or two at most so um it has been a process again I would say it's been two years of exploring sober curious sober ish you know that kind of thing and I've had some some higher moments and lower moments you know longer and shorter periods of time of, of sobriety and things like that but where I'm at now I'm really comfortable with it the idea of being sober for forever just didn't really jive with me again, because I, I'm not going to commit to something for the rest of my life that I know I'm going to like still kind of desire a little bit and that I enjoy. And I feel very confident that I can continue the way that I've been. Um, so yeah, that was a very long story, a very long, like, here's my journey, but I hope that that answers it. Yeah, no, I mean, it's super relatable. I think that we have these black and white versions of what number one, like you said, an alcoholic or somebody with substance use disorder looks like, mm -hmm. when is it a problem? You know, those gray area drinkers, you know, we don't really like, we're like, I think it's fine. You know, yeah. did you, did yeah. you ever have anybody that said, Hey, Tara, you're drinking too much. We're worried about you. Did anybody approach no, you? Yeah. Never. Same. Yeah. Yeah. If anything, when I talked about taking a break, they were like, why I drink more than you do. I'm like, yeah. Whoa. You know? So like that yeah. was, Interesting. I think those two years you had, you've had so many learnings yeah. and you've had some, I would imagine some setbacks where you woke up and you're like, Oh, maybe I should have just had one. Cause I don't feel so great. And I recognize what this feels like now. Cause I'm not right. drinking all the time. Like you can right. like, we normalize feeling like crap yeah. when we're drinking on a regular basis. And so yeah. I think that's a very healthy for lack of a better way to say it, a healthy um, track that you took, you know, like it felt yeah. like it was like, it truly was that curious, like I'm experimenting, which is very similar to what I did. Mm -hmm. And I took almost a full year off of alcohol. And that was just my big 
experiment. I never, ever set out to completely quit drinking. And I still, similar to you, will have a drink here and there. Like when I really want to, if I'm feeling terrible, if I had a bad day, if I'm not in a good emotional space, Mm -hmm. if I need to have a really direct conversation with my husband on a date night, no alcohol's involved. You know, so that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So I've kind of come up with that through trial and error, honestly. And Mm -hmm. I wasn't endangering my life. I would never encourage someone to do that if they are endangering their life with alcohol. Yeah. But there's so many of us that also need these stories and support to be able to say, oh, she did that. I can do that too. I just need Mm -hmm. some of these tools to manage my own stress, to be able to not use alcohol as my escape mechanism. (laughs) Right. Yeah. hundred percent. I similar, like wasn't doing anything. I wasn't, you know, drunk driving. I wasn't, uh, you know, struggling or having any, like, uh, what, what's the word I'm trying to search for consequences, like financial consequences. I was getting my work done. I was doing all the things, but outside of my responsibilities, like my quality of life was just not what I wanted because I had low energy. I would, you know, take naps, uh, maybe more than I wanted to waking up later. Like I said, and I was like, I'm not trying to spend my life hungover. Like I just, I'm not, I want to be moving and shaking during all of my waking hours and alcohol is not really allowing me to do that. Yeah, I know. There were so many things that I recognized that I did not see coming. There were just all these, you know, aha moments where it's like, oh, wow, alcohol was getting in the way of this. Right. And it's not just about our liver health. It's not just about our mental health. Although I was having a lot of anxiety, which was Mm -hmm. one of my primary reasons to say something's got to give here. Right. Um, And, you know, I was drinking every day for six months when the pandemic started every single day, my husband and I drank. And November 1st of 2020, I woke up and I was like, I cannot do this anymore. I mean, I was having like so many anxious, you know, 3 a.m. wake ups. And I honestly, I'd read about it a little bit. People were talking about anxiety. I didn't believe it until I did it until I stopped drinking. And then, oh my gosh, magically, most of the anxiety went away and the anxiety I had, I could handle. Like I knew how to, you know, move through that. Right. I hadn't heard the term anxiety until I started exploring my own drinking. I, I, maybe it would have impacted me. Maybe, maybe I would have stopped and listened to somebody, maybe not. But as soon as I read about it, when I was starting to explore, I was like, oh, hell yeah. I know what that is. That like 3am, like wired. And you're like shooting out of bed, like hearts racing. And you're like, God, I should be asleep right now. I've only been asleep for three hours. Why the hell am I awake? But like now understanding what is actually happening in your brain and that, you know, the, the cortisol and your body trying to get back to homeostasis. I'm like, Oh, of course. Like, obviously this makes so much sense, Tara. So right, yeah. Right. And then as we age, you know, I've been talking to a lot of women in like that perimenopause, you know, which can mm-hmm. be 10 years or longer. I mean, it's sort of like right. this, you know, thing that is sort of elusive out there that nobody really has nailed down. Mm-hmm. And they've been saying, gosh, I've just noticed my sleep is terrible. Um, you know, all these things are happening and I'm like, well, it does disrupt basically every hormone Yes. in your body. And yep. it takes about seven days for your body to even start to rebalance. And then it right. takes even longer, depending on how much and how long you've been drinking and all these things. Uh-huh. And they're like, oh, what? So, you yeah. know, there was a part of me three years ago, because I did the same thing. I started reading some Quitlet, started listening to some podcasts. A lot of them were very focused on total sobriety, but at the time right. I really needed like the educational component. And mm-hmm. I wanted to hear these stories to see if where I fit in, you know, like, did right. I fit into this story? Mm-hmm. I didn't, which is why I started this whole thing a couple of years ago. Cause I just felt like there was nobody talking about yeah. us. Like yeah. there's so many of us out there. Yeah. Um, that, that middle ground. 
Yes. Yes. And because we're not ruining our lives, it's like deemed okay in our culture. And that's what I'm here to challenge. Is this really okay? And every individual has to evaluate that for themselves. So I'm kind of like, if you think it's not a problem, then fine. Like don't do it. That's fine. But if you are having these nudges, like this is not making me the best version of myself or what I want to be or how I want to show up in the world, then it's time to challenge it. Right there. I use this variation of a phrase that I, I heard from some, from somewhere. And it was basically like, you don't have to have an addiction or be a problem drinker, quote unquote, to recognize that alcohol is not serving you. That's right. And, you know, I, I like, I read that and I was like, hell yeah. You know, because again, mm-hmm. I, I have this like binary of like, alcoholic or not, you know, problem drinker or not. And I just sort of realized like, no, you don't have to hit that point to understand that the, the cons very much outweigh the pros. Yes. And if I kept going on that same track for another six months or a year, I absolutely believe I could have been someone that was endangering themselves and the people around them. Absolutely. Um, So that was scary to me. So I think I just hit the pause button before it got scarier. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I like to use the term throttle back a lot. So you just like throttled back and you're like, oh, wait a minute. Pump the brakes. Yeah. And then I always, I kind of joke that it's like the Barbie movie where like they all kind of wake up or they have like Mm -hmm. that, you know, and they have like the little sound effect in the background and they wake up. Like I just feel like now I just see all this stuff that I was so blind to, which is so interesting of just how our, you know, culture perceives alcohol and all the things. Yep. Um, I was, I don't know about you. I was a little embarrassed. I have a master's degree in nursing and spent a long time taking care of patients before I did this. I'm a certified mm-hmm. life coach and I'm like, I'm a certified life coach with a master's degree in nursing and I'm drinking a bottle of wine most nights. What yep. in the hell? At the yeah. time, I really truly did not feel that way. But now looking back, I mean, I'm a, a, embarrassed by that. I have all this information. I'm helping these other people and drinking a bottle of wine every night. What? Yeah. Like, yeah. You're a mental health I, professional. I mean, what's your take on that? No, similar. I, uh, during, during COVID, I was finishing up my master's degree in counseling. And so I would, I remember doing sessions we had, cause we had to do them remote. Right. Um, I remember doing sessions with like, you know, that, that slight hangover kind of thing. And I'm like, okay, Tara's like, pay attention, drink water, like focus on what they're saying. And again, it was so normalized. Like I just, it's really so still so hard for me to wrap my brain around like the normalization of like the negative effects of alcohol and how people like laugh about it. Like, Oh dude, I was so hungover. And people are like, Oh yeah, me too. And I'm like, why are we quote unquote bragging about like how shitty we feel? We wouldn't do that if we had the flu or any other thing. And also you did this to yourself. Like none of this is like sen- makes sense to me. So yeah. So I uh, finished my, my counseling degree during COVID. And at the time that was before I was like exploring my, my sober curious journey, whatever you want to call it. But um looking back on it too, similar of like, why wasn't this brought up more? Why didn't I take my education and kind of apply it? But also even in the counseling field, it's not necessarily talked about uh, a ton. You know, there's lots of things that aren't talked about. I also didn't learn about suicide and how to help someone with thoughts of suicide. And that's the realm that I work in now. It was like barely touched on. Um, So yeah, to answer your question, like I'm, I'm similar to you of like, this mental health background. I have a master's degree in counseling and I was like drinking way too much, you know? Yeah. 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 I know we don't talk about it in just traditional healthcare systems much either. So we are big on smoking cessation. I mean, my goodness, you cannot smoke and we'll give you all the programs and all the things to be able to quit smoking. 
Yeah. But we just kind of brush over like the fact that people are drinking so much. And honestly, it's a huge problem in providers, physicians, PAs, NPs, nurses. It's a huge problem for them. So it's tough for them to, if they're drinking a bottle of wine every night to say, Hey, that's too much, you know, Absolutely. and, Absolutely. and you need to do something about this. I want to help you, you know, and right. we don't train those people to even talk to people compassionately right? And without judgment around what is going on. People lie all the time. The joke was, Oh, oh yeah. Six beers a night and you can smell it on them when they come in for surgery. And I was always like times two. So they had a case of beer or they had a half a case of beer, you know? Yeah. So yeah. yeah, like, I just think there's a lot of work to be done for people to actually feel like they can be honest and it works both ways. Like that has to happen for the individual, the patient, but also our healthcare professionals have to learn how to talk to people in a way that right. doesn't make them feel defensive and judged, you know, and you know, you're a terrible person for drinking this much. Right. They already feel that. If you're a healthcare worker though, and you are already kind of in disbelief or you're kind of turning a blind eye to the negative effects of alcohol because it's he- helping you, you know, or you think it's helping you, you're sure as shit not going to tell someone else right. or because you can't even recognize it. You're like, they're like incapable of recognizing it themselves. So then they're, therefore they're right. incapable of like sharing that with a, a patient or a client or, or whatnot. I am. Um, I made a post on this on my Instagram about, I used to uh, take medicine for anxiety, right? And maybe I got off medicine maybe like seven years ago. I just found that it wasn't for me. But in that period of time where I was exploring different medications, I remember my healthcare provider telling me to lay off the coffee. And she's like, you know, you have anxiety. You can't, you know, don't take this like stimulant thing that like gets you up and going. I don't recall her really having a conversation with me about alcohol, and other than, you know, I'm sure I pro I also probably lied on the little intake thing where it's like, how many drinks you have per week? Right. And people always put like, oh, I'm a social drinker. Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, but I just don't remember that being a big topic of conversation and someone explaining to me again, the science of it, what is actually happening to your brain? How is this impacting your anxiety? The specific thing that I'm coming to you to try and remedy that just didn't happen. It was like, lay off the coffee, Tara. And of course I didn't right. do that either. Yeah. You know, and I don't blame the people on this at all. I don't blame us. I don't blame the healthcare professionals. Our culture has just believed this mm-hmm. massive lie. Yeah. And we're willing to put the blinders on. Like we really yeah. truly do have blinders on to some of this, whether, you know, it's conscious or subconscious, you know, we're, right. we are, we are putting the blinders on. So there's so much work to be done. And I think that's why these stories are powerful to share and more and more people, you know, when I was first early on, some of the stories of celebrities Mm -hmm. getting sober were really inspiring to me because it's like, I didn't know anybody else. Everybody else in my circle, they were all drinkers. I didn't know anybody that didn't drink, which come to find out you do tend to hang out with people that have similar drinking habits to you. Yeah. Um, I have lots of friends that don't drink now, you know? So it's so interesting to see that, but I really like had this mindset of like, I didn't have a choice because everybody around me drank and that's, what's normal. And I want to be normal. So it felt like I just didn't like, I, yeah, I didn't have a choice. I couldn't go to a birthday party and not drink. Right. Everybody else was drinking. Why would I do that? Well, you don't even see the option of not drinking. Like, I mean, you can't see what you can't see. And so like, you're saying the blinders, I just, the idea of that even being an option doesn't even cross our brains, I think, because we yeah. start drinking from such a young age. And uh, I was listening to the Huberman podcast. I think it's like Huberman Lab. I'm sure you've heard of it. Yeah. Yes. Amazing. Right. And his, his uh, episode on alcohol, probably like two hours long, but has all kinds yeah. of science behind it. And one of the things that stood out to me that he said was like, 
there's all this data that shows the younger that people are when they start drinking, the more likely they are to become a problem drinker or yeah. an alcoholic, if you use that term. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is crazy. You know, so I'm like texting my brother, like, don't let your son start drinking. You know, he's like a teenager. And I, and I just like, it freaked me out. Um, but yeah, we, we do. We start at a young age. I feel like most people start as a teenager, even if it's not a ton like me, I, you know, drank a handful of times in high school, but it started and then that kind of propelled me. And then there was never yeah. any kind of looking back from it. So, yeah, gosh, that Huberman episode, I like that was, cause I listened, I think it, I think he published it in 2020 or 2021. So mm -hmm. I listened to yeah. it and that was another one that has just always stuck with me because he's very objective about it. He is truly the same yes. science. Yes. And, and that was so interesting to me because I'm like, okay, like this is science. Like this yeah. is a fact that these yeah. things are happening. Um, yeah. I was just listening to a podcast with Craig Ferguson on it. It was hilarious. Like, I just loved it. Armchair the late expert. Night show? Just show. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> so he was on Jack Shepard's podcast, you know, and he always openly talks about, you know, AA and all those things. But he, Craig started drinking when he was 13. Mm -hmm. And that was what I connected. I'm like, this is just last week. And I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah, that Huberman episode. No wonder he became yeah. an alcoholic. Duh. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. like he's at 13, he got blackout drunk. You know, yeah. it's like, no wonder. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think, you know, we kind of look at that as like, oh, kids will be kids and everybody's had a hangover, you know, and when mm -hmm. you go to college, that's just sort of expected that you're going to do keg stands and be right. in bed all weekend. And, right. you know, like, I think there's a lot of, of opportunity there to, to unnormalize that or whatever the, yeah. the word would be, you know, recondition. For, for yeah. Yeah. Recondition um, our kids. And, you know, mm -hmm. Gen Z is drinking a lot less. Yes. Than other I love generations, that. which I do really love that they're doing that. Now we could argue maybe they're doing some other things that aren't so great for their mental health either. Uh, yeah. But yeah. you know, I see that as some progress, you know, and like my son is 10 years old and I openly talk to him about, you know, these types of things. Yeah. And he, yeah, he, like he made the comment, why would anybody, he asked me what it feels like to be drunk. So I explained it to him. Mm -hmm. He said, why would anybody want to do that? Yeah. And I'm like, that's an excellent question, buddy. <laughs> you're, you're like, oh, buddy, we don't have enough time to like go through the whole gamut of things. Uh, the mental health piece is something that I, I like. That's my my main, you know, sort of shtick is because we see all these rates of depression and anxiety like going up. And Bessel van der Kolk makes a great point in his book, The Body Keeps the Score, where he's like, if antidepressants work the way that they should, then like, as we see use of antidepressants go up, we should see depression go down, but we don't, we see both of them climbing, which that's a whole different topic, but either way, as you're seeing anxiety and depression rates continually steadily climb in people, I tell people one of the best things you can do for your mental health, if you struggle with either of these two things is to either quit or minimalize your drinking. Like yeah. this is one of the best things that you can do. Like that's what you can control. And then also yoga, but a lot of people yes. <laughs> are, are yes. like, I'm not flexible. So I figured like, you know, I kind of I, I approach the drinking thing first and then I'll try and get them to a yoga class. Yes. Okay. So two things I want to circle back to yoga for sure, but the minimalist drinker thing. So the reason why I would call myself a mindful drinker, I call myself soberish. I do still have drinks here and there is because when I embarked on this journey, I was, you know, almost a 40 year old woman. I lived enough life to mm -hmm. know what works for me and what doesn't. And right. I have never, ever been successful when I have it been in a black and white mindset. Like it's mm -hmm. all or nothing. Right. You can't have this. I there like there's a stubborn piece of me that is always there. That's like you can't tell us we can't have that. You know, mm -hmm. 
You right. can't do that to us. We can have whatever we want because mm-hmm. there's so much deprivation, especially for women in our world. We already feel so deprived. That's the last mm-hmm. thing I needed. Right. So I needed that little sort of just safety net of like, okay, like this doesn't have to be forever, but we want to work on this. We want to, you know, kind of evolve this relationship. And that was really helpful to me to mm-hmm. have that in the background of like, well, I don't know, like right today, I don't want to drink, but maybe next year I might want to, maybe I'll go yeah. back to the old habits. I have no idea. Cause here I am just experimenting and I'm finally learning to love myself mm-hmm. in a way that I've never done before. And when you yeah. love yourself, you don't put a bottle of wine in your body every yeah. single night yeah. and you go to your workout class, you go to yoga because yeah. you're loving yourself. Like you mm-hmm. don't put crappy foods in your body. Not that I don't yeah. eat some crappy foods, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I was truly like in this, like, I am going to love on myself as hard as I love on everyone else in my life. Yeah. And my, that's huge. My physical body feels so much better since doing this sober curious journey. Like I've done yoga for a long time, but the, the drinking thing was, it was also a game changer for me. Yeah. I mean, just physically, because again, excuse me, I'm not waking up with hangovers. I'm not tired. I'm not napping. Like I feel productive. I go to bed each night, like tired. Cause I'm naturally tired. Not yep. because I had to, you know, take a, Pass out. you know, <laughs> yeah. Like not cause I like, I, I used to, this actually used to happen. I'd be like, God, I need to fall asleep. So I take a quick shot of bourbon to try yep. and just like, give me that little bit, not knowing that this is actually worse for you. And you're going to wake up. Your quality of sleep is going to be shit because you just did that, even that one shot of bourbon. So, um, yeah, totally agree with, with the the physical health piece and like taking care of yourself. And, and again, it's, it's something that we can control. There's a lot of things that we can't control about our body and how certain things feel putting alcohol and how much alcohol you put in your body is something that you can control. So why would you not do that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'm a 42 year old woman. So like, it's like, I don't feel good every single day. You know, I do all the, I do all the right things. I get my sleep, I exercise, I eat healthy and I don't feel good every single day. Yeah. So imagine if I were still drinking, like I was like, that Mm -hmm. would be a hundred times worse. So it's like, my goal is to feel as good as I possibly can. And alcohol was not a part of that narrative anymore. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Um, so tell me about yoga. Like, how does yoga fit into this? I know, you know, before we hit record, you were like, I think people just think it's just for a bunch of hippies, you know? And I'm like, well, yeah. the hippies got a lot figured out. Like they seem pretty yeah. happy. And so, um, what are we doing wrong? Right. And so right. just tell me like, what are some of the misconceptions about yoga? What has it done for you? If somebody's a beginner, where would they start? What would they, you know, how would you steer them? Yeah. So, uh, I'll start with kind of my, my journey of yoga. Like I mentioned, I had tried anti-anxiety medication, uh, probably this would have been like circa 2014, 15. And it just did not like medication. It wasn't for me. And I was like, well, I've got to figure this out somehow. So I started going to yoga hardcore four or five days a week. And I did over time notice a difference. That's something else too, that like people are constantly wanting a quick fix. And so when I recommend yoga, I need to explain to them, you're not going to necessarily notice a difference in a week. Maybe, you know, it might take several weeks, maybe even like a couple of months for you to notice. So just be patient, but I promise this is helping. There's all kinds of science behind it. So I started yoga to help with my just general anxiety disorder. Um, I did notice a difference, like I mentioned, and I've kind of never turned back since one of the misconceptions about yoga is that it's for, you know, skinny white women, which is not true. Um, and they also think just yoga is just the physical practice. Yoga is kind of a philosophy. It's not religious, but there's lots of elements to it that have helped me be able to 
truly regulate my nervous system, not get activated about certain things, not take things personally. You know, you were mentioning the, like when someone says like, you can't do this, right. And how you immediately, like, you know, we come to this defense of like, you can't tell me what to do. And so there's a lot of principles in yoga about non-attachment, um, non-harm, right. With our words, not harming ourselves, not harming other people. So being mindful of how we speak to other people, how we speak to ourselves, all kinds of principles within the yoga philosophy that have changed my mindset and allowed me to just have more calmness in my life, which is funny because I'm a highly energetic person. So people are like, you do yoga? I'm like, God, can you imagine if I didn't? I'm like, I'd really be bouncing off the walls. Right. Um, so, I, so I think that's a misconception. But what actually happens as far as it relates to alcohol is that yoga principles, breathing from the diaphragm, doing one breath, one movement, mindfulness, sitting in stillness, noticing your thoughts, all of that they, that helps to tone your vagus nerve, which is known as the wandering nerve for anyone listening. That's not familiar with that. It basically goes from like your head to your guts, the longest nerve in the, I think it's on the autonomic, in the ANS, right? Autonomic nervous system. Um, and when you can tone your vagus nerve, it's similar to toning a muscle. It's practice, right? And you have to keep doing it. So the more that you're engaging in meditation, mindful movement, uh, which can be even just like walking by the way, but like being aware and kind of you know, moving in a, in a mindful way, diaphragmatic breathing, things like that. It tones your vagus nerve and your vagus nerve then allows you to handle stress in a more calm way. You are able to kind of notice much sooner when you start to feel any kind of discomfort, whether that's like anxiety or fear, you know, just any sort of dis ease, lack of ease in your life. You notice that a little bit sooner and then you are able to sit with it because like yoga, uh, also if you're in a pose, right. And you're, you're straining not straining to the point of hurting, but like straining a muscle or your, you know, your breathing is getting heavy because you're holding this pose for a while. You learn to breathe through that. You're training your body to know that it can get through an uncomfortable experience through the breath. So this ties into drinking because so often our drinking is around social settings and it is totally normal to have anxiety, even if you're an extrovert, but it's totally normal to have anxiety when you're in social settings and, you know, wanting to be the funny one, wanting to connect with people. Like that's part of our DNA is to connect with people. So you, by, by doing this, by engaging in any kind of mindful practices, you're able to kind of breathe through that discomfort that you might feel initially when you're going into a social setting, whether that's a happy hour, a work party, a business meeting, or even just like hanging out with your own friends. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's kind of that tie to that. And if you can kind of get through that first 10 minutes, in my opinion, it gets way easier after that. But we walk into a social setting and the first thing we do is like, people are like, I'm gonna hit the bar. I gotta hit the bar. I gotta get a drink. And yep. I'm like, no, just give it, please just give it like 10 minutes Just breathe through it. And I swear you're going to feel better. And then it just gets easier and easier from there. So. That was such an interesting experiment. Like the first couple of times I went to something where literally everybody else was drinking, it was so uncomfortable. And I, I totally believe you 10 minutes, about 10 minutes, I calmed down, you know, and mm -hmm. it was like, okay, now I can have good conversation. And I actually yeah. felt like I almost had a leg up because I... Yeah wasn't repeating myself. I was asking clear, concise questions. I was listening. My listening skills right. stuck when I'm drinking. Yeah. <laughs> or hungover. Yeah. So yeah. Oh, yeah. God, no, cause you can't retain information. No. Yeah. And so then they're like, they actually feel like, oh my gosh, this person is really listening to me. And honestly, I think that is one of our most needed human needs right now is to yeah. feel like somebody is truly listening to us. Yeah, They're not distracted looking at something else. Like they actually 
seem to care about me. This is interesting. What a new concept. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I will say also that experience of like being around other people when they're drinking and I was sober reinforced like right you don't want to drink because I was like totally. holy shit is this what I'm like when I'm drunk like and, and it know, is we're, we're, yeah, yeah we're unaware of our slurring or you know our body language and like you know kind of leaning in too close and movements and all that so that I actually enjoyed the first handful of times because it like grounded me in that idea like you don't want to be drinking you don't want to be that person because totally. I would be around people and I'm like god this like this is terrible so uncomfortable like you're so loud right now you're so annoying you're so whatever yeah. and so, yeah it was it was bad validating for me. I mean, I hate to say that that sounds kind of funky, but yeah. No, but I think I looked at it as, oh my gosh, I was that way too. I'm not immune to that, but I kind of thought I was when I was drinking. I think most drinkers think that they're not the one that is slurring and repeating themselves. They're not the one they got this. Like I really thought I was like, in air quotes, stronger than that. <laughs> yeah. Which is why when people are drunk and you say like, oh, you're drunk. And they're like, nah, I'm like I got a not, you know, yeah. Another one. They'll like admit a little bit, but they're like, I feel totally in control. And I feel like I'm talking normal. And I feel like my body movements are normal. And you, the sober person are like, yeah, no, not, not even a little yeah. bit, dude. Yeah. You can see the shifts when you're sober for sure. There's no yeah. doubt. Yeah. I want to go back to something you said, because I think the key point for yoga was that you were regulating your nervous system. And yes. I think most women are drinking to get rid of that feeling of an unregulated nervous system. Right. They're and we're starting to regulate. It, yes, that's right. And they're not the opposite. They're, they're making it so much worse, but we right. just want to get out of that because it feels so icky to have an unregulated nervous system. Oh yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, there's, there's more talk about that, but you know, 10 years ago, I never heard anybody talk about, you know, a regulated nervous system, you know? So it's like, I do think that we're getting more of that message out there and people are better understanding that outside of yoga. What are some of the other ways that you regulate your nervous system that don't involve alcohol? Um, I, any kind of body movement also too, which is why I said like, even just like kind of mindful walking. Um, so breathing is basically your only like, like breathing movement, anything physical is going to be the best natural way to regulate your nervous system. Right. We so often turn to, to substances or even to like to entertainment, anything to distract us because then we can kind of like shut it off and dissociate. So that could be like gaming, TV, um, shopping, shopping. yes, yes, hundred <laughs> yes. percent shopping, any, anything like kind of addictive like that. So for, for me to regulate, uh, yoga, uh, breathing, walking. I'm not a runner. I suck at running. Like you're never going to see me run, run, but I do, I do walk. Um, and anything that is going to give me kind of a distraction from my thoughts to let me like kind of slow down is going to be helpful. And then I can come back to what that discomfort feeling was because Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to like, it's kind of like pushing pause on it and being like, oh, like a, I'm going to parking lot it. And then I'll come back and revisit you later when my heart rate's a little bit lower. And I'm, I have my, my prefrontal cortex is online instead of just like hanging out in the, you know, reptilian brain yes. sort of thing. So movement of any kind. Yeah. yeah. Or breathing. And I'd, I'd point out the key point there is that you said, I'll go back to it. So for yeah. years I would recognize that and I would distract myself and never go back to it. So then it okay. was just compounded. It was living in my body and yeah. it was so much harder to kind of get out of that because I was never circling back to it because right. I felt too hard. You right. know, it's like, I don't want to do that. And now doing what I do now, the last seven years of just growth and development, I'm like, I love that work. 
Yeah. I can't wait to circle back to this and dig in, you know, and maybe call a trusted friend or a fellow coach or my own coach, or, you know, have a conversation with my therapist, you know, like there's all these ways that we can do that to circle back, but that's the key is circling back to it. And so many of us just put it in a box for later and we don't ever open the box. Yeah. I, uh, I use this analogy, maybe on my Instagram and I, now I'm thinking about it. I'm like, I should probably post this again. Cause I actually have a picture of me now holding this giant ice block, um, in Alaska, but I talk about trauma a lot. And people often think of trauma as like combat, car accidents, sexual assault, things like that. But trauma can also be emotional trauma. And there's, you know, varying levels, spectrum of trauma, that, that sort of stuff. Um, and so I think of our experiences and figuring out who we are is like this giant ice block. I think of trauma as this giant ice block and you slowly kind of like chip away at it, like one at a time. Um, and so you can get it to where this ice block either like kind of melts or disintegrates or, or whatever it is. And so going back to whatever is causing you distress is knocking just a little bit of that ice block off, you know? Yeah. It's just, you do it, you have to do it little by little, but like you said, you have to come back to it. You can't just like push that shit down because it's going to hang out there and, and it stays in your body, right? We know this through science that like trauma and memories do live in your body for years and years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think just being a child is traumatic. You know, oh my God. Like, the human experience. What the hell? Like, <laughs> dude, the human that, experience yeah. is traumatic. Totally. Like everybody has, like everybody has trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. obviously we can compare, you know, I don't have a high A score, you know, which for people listening, you know, that's the, you know, kind of score that we use in behavioral health and in other places to say, okay, like this person's at risk because they have a seven or, you know, or whatever right. on the A score. Mine's not high, but that yeah. doesn't mean I didn't experience trauma. I just right. recently with a trusted, um, coaching friend of mine, we did this life review, which actually Jane Fonda recommended. And I loved okay. the podcast that we listened to. She and I listened to it and we were both like, let's do this. So we kind of went back and we were uncovering some of these things and it has been so therapeutic Yeah. to, you know, like people said, a couple, I shared it with a couple of people and they said, why would you want to do that? That sounds horrible, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, why? And they're like, well, because you got to open up all those old wounds. And I'm like, yeah. those wounds, like my goal is not to just have the wound close. My goal is to heal the wound completely. Yeah, And when I bring it back to what I used to do for a living, if we had a surgical wound that was infected and causing problems all throughout the body, we would debride that sucker and we would give them all the antibiotics and we would ultimately heal that wound. Why are we yeah. so willing to walk around with these unhealed wounds when they yeah. are doing nothing but killing us literally? Yeah. I use the term uh, short-term sacrifice for long-term gain in in kind of two different aspects. So like one, sitting with the discomfort, like 100%, right? Uh-huh. So I'm going to sacrifice in the short term and I'm going to sit with these really crappy feelings. And yeah, it does suck. And it can suck for like months or, or even like yep. a year, right? I had yep. to, I've, I've been working on a lot of childhood stuff lately. And, but in the end, I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm middle age. I, you know, fingers crossed, have like another 40-ish years left. If I can spend a year working through some of this bullshit, the next 39 years after that are going to be a lot easier. So a short-term right. sacrifice for long-term gain. And same thing with like drinking when, if you apply this to like a day-to-day thing, right? Short-term sacrifice of a little bit of discomfort, lean into that social anxiety, lean into, you know, hand, like figure out how to handle people that are asking you questions or judging you and it's uncomfortable. But again, long-term gain, because the more you practice that and sit through those uncomfortable moments, the long-term gain is that you're feeling better, healthier, decreasing your chances of cancer, you know, more energy 
able to complete your goals. So that term just in general, I think can apply for, for either of those, but yeah, uh, I agree. There's so many people that, that steer away from the internal work because they're like, God, no, like, I don't want to go back and revisit that because they think it's always like once, once you open it up, it's always going to be there. It's like, no, once you open it up, you start to chip away at it, right? Like the ice block, you slowly chip away at it. And it's never going to be that big thing again, because you're kind of beating it down little by little. Right. And you know, our reptilian brains tell us like, this is going to be so horrible when we actually get in it. It's not as horrible as our brain and our fear response likes to tell us. Like it's really not doesn't it's easy. Right. But when we look at it, we think it's going to be just this like Mount Everest. We got to climb. I can't do that, you know, and and we can, we all can, we can do that. And I, you know, highly suggest not doing it alone. You know, I'm like, there's so many (laughs) that we can, you know, uses resources. And if you can't, you know, pay for therapy, which we have a long way to go there in this country to get people access to the things that they need, but there are so many opportunities out there. So it doesn't have to happen alone. And I highly recommend people don't do it alone. I think that's where it gets more scary. People heal in community. And I, I I'm right there with you. And that could be a whole nother episode about like the cost (laughs) of healthcare and mental health services. Totally agree. But there are ways to find community. Um, I live in Austin, Texas, where donation-based yoga is pretty big. So you can go in and take a yoga class for, you know, five, five bucks, right? If you have a dollar, they're going to let you come in. Um, NAMI, the National Association Mental Illness, is that what it is? Yep. NAMI, they have support groups. Um, I I'm not on TikTok, but I'm told that like there's groups on TikTok that kind of like support each other and stuff like that. There are not nearly as many free resources as there should be but there are some, you just have to do a little bit of digging and finding and things like that. But absolutely. I I'm there with you. Don't, don't do it alone. Um, find a trusted therapist, coach, somatic practitioner. Um, I mean, hell I do, I do all kinds of, I do resonance repatterning. I do acupuncture. Um, I do cranial sacral massage. I see a regular talk therapist. Like I do all the things. Same. Yes. Yeah. 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 And I, yeah, yeah, like, like you said, there's, there's options out there if we really start to dig a little bit. So Yeah. 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 I think we're, we're hopefully on the up and up of getting that more accessible, especially with, um, the internet, you know, one of the positive things that came out of COVID was this realization of connecting online and having that accessibility to, to other people. Um, there's all kinds of support groups for people that feel like they're in recovery, right. Whether they're in recovery from, from addiction or like codependency, things like that. And a lot of those are free too. So yes. Yeah. I found TikTok to actually be a wonderful resource. It's it's how I started. So I started watching TikTok, you know, right during the pandemic when it first started. Uh-huh. It was fun. It was making me laugh. People are yeah. hilarious. Like really, yeah. they like yeah. humans are really funny. Yeah. And it was a great just sort of outlet. And then I started getting these, you know, little nudges where I'm like, why why get sobriety thing or taking a break from alcohol? So weird. Yeah. So I do think there's a lot of options. You know, I'd read some Quitlet, you know, you can get those from the library. You know, there's so yep. many ways that you can expose yourself to that. And then I started really curating my TikTok. So it was mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm going to remove the wine mom crap. Yeah. And I'm going to add in, like, maybe we should question this relationship with alcohol. Here's some things that are happening to your body right. because you were drinking alcohol on a regular basis. And I'm like, whoa, you know, it's like, I used it as an educational tool. So I do think there are lots of, you know, free options out there for sure. I will say that when I put a little bit of money in 
I feel like I have a little more skin in the game and I'm like, well, I'm not going to piss away my money. And I always tell people too, how much money are you spending on alcohol? Like we act like this is monopoly money. Yes. It's real damn money. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like how much money are you doing that? What if you just said for this year, I'm going to take all the money that I spent, which I added mine up. It was, it was ridiculous. The wine Mm. memberships, the, all the things Yeah, I put that amount of money in my own health and well being. Yeah. What could happen? Where could I be a year from now? And that's Mm. what I did. Yeah. 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 I mean, easily depending on where you live and, you know, kind of what you're drinking, like it would have been easy for me to spend like 50, 60 bucks, you know, at a bar. Also you put a few drinks in me and I get to be real generous. I'm like, I got it. I got it. You know, like I got the whole bar. We're good. Yes. 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 And we act like that's not real money. Like it's so interesting. Like I really did not see that as like, I didn't put it in our budget. We had a family budget that I did like seven years ago. It wasn't in my budget. And I'm like, we were spending like a thousand dollars a month on alcohol or more. Like yeah. possibly more than that. Yeah. So it's, it's like, a, what? 60 bucks would be like going out one night and I'm probably going out more than that. And I'm, you know, buying like drinks just to drink at home kind of thing. Yeah. So yes. if you can, I mean, even, even just, you know, cut back your drinking like a little bit, you know, 20%, yes. take that money and invest it into something. Right. Um, but also to another quick point, there's lots of yoga and meditation on YouTube too. So just, just going to throw that out there as well. Yes. If you, even if you don't live near a studio, you can't pay whatever, lots of free options, uh, online. Yes. Well, and you know, if yoga is not your thing, I do Pilates and mm-hmm. you know, breathe, breathing and breath work is all a part of Pilates and they remind yeah. me of it. So I yeah. always leave feeling like I have a calm nervous system Yeah. when I walk out the door and they're saying, you know, breathe in, breathe out. Like they're prompting me, which I'm sitting there holding my breath. And I'm like, yeah. how interesting. I wouldn't have known that if I didn't have yeah. somebody there coaching me along the way. Yeah. So, and even yeah. like MMA type stuff, like Brazilian jiu-jitsu, like any kind of like movement where you're re- like releasing energy or becoming aware of energy. So yeah, if yoga and Pilates is not your thing, um, other, other things have been proven to help again, tone the vagus nerve and help you become more in touch with and regulate your nervous system. Yeah. And your breath is always with you. So I even tell people, you know, I have executive coaching clients where I'm like, so-and-so says something in a meeting, it triggers you. That reptilian brain is ready to jump on them. Yep. How do we get you back up to that prefrontal cortex that is a little more evolved and won't ruin their lives by <laughs> yeah. you know, jumping on this person? And that box breathing is really helpful for them. So Mm -hmm. they'll sit there and do that. You can do that without people really even noticing. Mm -hmm. And then you can respond, you know, like let's do that first. So there's so much there. That breath is always there with you. So I love that you talked about the value of that. Mm -hmm. Yep. Lots of options. And I recommend, uh, reading, uh, the body keeps the score for, if you want like more science on the stuff. Yeah. So for those of you listening, they also talk about like theater, how theater can help because you're sort of embodying like different personality traits and characteristics. And you have to like, then physically feel that in your body. You know, if you're, you're playing an angry person, right. If you're an actor, you're playing an angry person, like you kind of have to feel angry. Um, and so, you know, same thing when, with, uh, trying to get your nervous system to feel a certain way. Anyway, I'm, I'm rambling here. Just yeah. Read the book. (laughs) Yes. 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 Well, if there was one thing that you would like people to know that you think the general population does not know about alcohol or the sober ish journey, what would that be? Um, so I'll go with like something about the sober ish journey, which is that it is a journey. And so if you start to approach it 
and you're, you do like a 30 day challenge or you take a good long break. And then you have a month where you're like, hell, there's like three weddings and you drink at all three of them. Mm-hmm. Like it's okay. Yeah. I'm a big proponent of like, fuck the numbers of like the days sober. I hate that in the, in the sober, not sober community with like that have like the, the black and white. I really hate it because I'm like, do not throw away all of these days and years of sobriety and feel like you're starting at square one. You're not, you're still yep. in the same spot. The only thing that changes is the number. So this I think applies to those that are living the sober curious life too. Is like, if you're doing real good, you've got several months of moderating your drinking, being a minimalist drinker. And then all of a sudden you have, you know, a rough month or weekend or whatever it is. It's okay. You're human and have grace for yourself and compassion for yourself. And don't think that you're starting back from square one. Cause you're not like you have already, you can't unlearn things. You can't. Yes. That's so you know? like you're not you, the same you, person you were 30 yeah. years ago. Yeah. yeah. Like that's you're going to have so all this good. experience and you know, you know, a bit more about your triggers, you know, about the things that are going to make you kind of tip that scale. You can't unlearn that. So you're not starting at, at square one. Yeah. So. I've never counted days. So when I say I was almost a year without alcohol, people are like, Oh, well, how many days? I have no idea. I never yeah. counted them and I did it intentionally. Yeah. Yeah. I've, yeah. I've only counted when I've done uh, like full months. Like, so I took right. uh, August sure. off I had done, I think I took off like all of June and then I drank a couple of times in, in July. So I intentionally was like, okay, I'm going to do August off. And my birthday's in August. So this was the first birthday that I hadn't had a drink. I was first yeah. sober birthday. And honestly, like it wasn't even hard. Like it was just like another oh my God, yes. fucking day, you know, <laughs> but like once you get through those first, they become easier. So that totally. might also be something I would tell people too, is like, get through your first sober wedding, get through your first boat boat party, get through your first happy hour. And then it is easier from there. Yeah. Just do the first one. Yes. You know, in that year, I think that's why I, you know, when I look back on it, I don't think I was strategically doing that, but I Mm -hmm. took that year because I wanted to kind of experience all the seasons and all the activities that come with these new seasons and vacations. And I went on a bachelorette party and didn't drink a sip of alcohol during that whole time. Yeah. it was great. Like I didn't miss out on anything, you know? So I think you just got to like prove it to yourself. Like I'm stubborn. So I have to prove a lot of things to myself. Yeah. So I think that's helpful. It's just like a piece of evidence for your brain to be like, Oh, that wasn't as bad as I thought. That's kind of nice. I went home at 10 and woke up without a hangover. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Like I talk a lot about delaying the reward because people will say, but like the wine's my reward at the end of the night. Yeah. I'm like, well, back to your, you know, conversation of what if we just like hold on and wait for it. So, you know, wait yeah. for the satisfaction there. And so like, let's just delay the reward for a day. Even you only have yeah. to delay it for six hours in some cases, and you get to wake up feeling wonderful. Yeah. And that's your reward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Another book too, again, for all those listening, you've probably read this Rachel, but um, the power of habit kind of talks about that too. And one of the examples they give is that like that drink after work, right? Like, is it because yeah. you're actually stressed out or because you expect to be stressed out? Like checking That's with right. your body. Are you actually stressed or you just have this like, oh God, work is supposed to be tough. So I feel stressed when I get home and <laughs> yeah. I'm going to pour like some, some bourbon. Right. Like, yeah. Just, you know, yeah. check in. Is it, is it habit or is it true desire? Maybe it's a yes. little bit of both. That's fine too. But um, I think that's an interesting concept to explore. Yeah. And I realized it was habit when I started drinking NA stuff. And really what it was, was I wanted permission to sit down and relax. Yeah. Cause I yeah. didn't do that very well. There was always yeah. something to do. I would be, you know, when I get home, it's like, well, I can see all the things that need to be done. Here we go. And I was not someone that sat. And so yeah. I realized that was what I was desiring was to relax. Yeah. And so sure. I still sat down with my drink and my pretty little glass. I had yep. the same habit. It just happened mm-hmm. to not have alcohol in it. Yeah. 
I'm that yeah. way with like having something in my hand in social settings. Like I just need to have something in my hand. Right. Yeah. You know, and it doesn't matter if it's a sparkling water or a beer, like, you know, kind of whatever. Um, I realized that that was sort of, that was kind of, it's like, you know, having like your blankie, right. That was my little crutch of like just having something in my hand. So I'm fine to have a sparkling water or a Topo Chico or, yeah. you know, whatever it is. Um, it doesn't have to be alcohol and I'm, I'm good to go at this point. I really like, I can't think of a time recently where I was uncomfortable or nervous about being sober when everyone else was drinking, but it took time, you know, yeah, it's, for sure. it's, it's a yeah. learning process. And I didn't have the confidence the first year. Now, three years into this, I'm like, yeah. I have no problem with this. And I'll like yeah. talk about it openly. I used to be so worried. Well, I'm going to go to this thing. There's going to be drinking. What am I going to say? How am I going to explain mm. why I'm not drinking? That yeah. doesn't even cross my mind. So yeah. just know it's going to be hard at first, but it does get easier. Like it's, and For then it's sure. almost one of those things that's like, this is your new normal. It's part of your DNA now. And you just like, that's, that's how you operate. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's, it makes it so much easier. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Tara, this has been a delight. We could have a six hour podcast. I, think, I feel like we could do all yeah. the things, um, but I really appreciate your guidance. You know, yoga has always been a little intimidating to me, to me, you know? So it's like, gosh, maybe I should check in on this a little bit, you know? Yeah. Um, if you're, I think if you're really new helpful. to it, like the YouTube stuff might be helpful. Cause you can kind of start to learn a little bit, like names of the poses and things like that and kind of know what to expect. Cause I think that's can be intimidating for people to go into a studio. So right. maybe just check out some like 20, 30 minute videos on YouTube and get yourself a bit more familiar with the practice. So, yeah. 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 You know, I don't think all exercise has to be this strenuous, miserable experience, you yeah. know, like that's no. why I actually shifted the Pilates. Cause that's kind of what I was doing to my body as a former athlete. I thought, well, that's what you're supposed to do. And right. that wasn't really serving me very well. I didn't need that. I'm like you, I'm like, high wired most of the time. So mm-hmm. I don't need more of that. I need the opposite. Like I need right. to counteract these, you know, the yeah. way that I'm currently living. So yeah. I love it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. This has been awesome. I agree. Yeah. We could, we could talk for six hours about this. So hopefully, um, this would, people aren't, aren't bored of <laughs> hearing me by now, but yeah, I really no. appreciate it. Yeah. I think your story is important. It's a powerful one. Um, you're, you are not alone. We are not alone. And that's the whole goal of this is for people to listen to this and realize they're not alone. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Don't forget to hit subscribe. So you can be reminded for my weekly Wednesday episodes. If you're curious about my programs and options of ways to work with me, check out rachelpritz.com. And if that's not interesting to you right now, no problem. Just keep listening along for free. Either way, I'm here for you.